You're in the water loop. Waterloop is a nonprofit media outlet made possible in part by a grant from Springpoint Partners. Visit waterloop.org for all of our content. This is episode number 138 Great Opportunities for Great Lakes. In many parts of the United States, political partisanship and climate change pose challenges for environmental progress. Meanwhile, The Great Lakes have shown to be a place for rare bipartisan support for investing in clean water and healthy communities. Also, climate change could offer silver linings for the region, such as a longer growing season for agriculture and as a refuge for people migrating from impacts like drought or sea level rise. These opportunities are discussed in this episode with Joel Braumeyer, President and CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Joel also talks about progress in cleaning up highly polluted areas, combating invasive species like Asian carp, and engaging communities in shaping water projects. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Going to talk all about the Great Lakes this episode with Joel Braumeyer. He is president and CEO of the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Joel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Glad to be here, Travis. Yeah, so I've had a, a decent number of episodes about Great Lakes topics or communities around the Great Lakes. I'm really excited to get your perspective kind of uh, from from where you are and, and kind of as an organization that tackles issues across the Great Lakes region. Before we dive into some of that stuff, what, what does your organization do? The Alliance for the Great Lakes is an organization supported by people across the Great Lakes region that works to uh, advocate for the protections and uh, investments that the Great Lakes need so the water can continue to um, protect and sustain all life, the lives of people and the lives of wildlife that depend on them every single day. Uh, it's a great mission, and we're glad to be doing that work um, day in, day out. Yeah. Uh, Great Lakes. So for, for people that might not have been there, spent time there, be too familiar with it, um, or even people that, that do know about the Great Lakes, how would you describe them? Why are they so unique and special? Well, even if you do live in the Great Lakes region, sometimes you miss just how big and impressive this region is. From the western end to the eastern end, uh, roughly from Duluth, Minnesota to Montreal, Quebec, we're talking about a watershed of more than a thousand miles wide and a massive amount of fresh water. In fact, there's nowhere else in the world where this many people live this close to this much uh, easily available fresh water. So the Great Lakes are critical for uh, our outdoor economy. They are a critical source of drinking water for more than 40 million people in two countries. Uh, and they support a, uh, an economy uh, across the Great Lakes region in areas like agriculture and shipping and manufacturing that really uh, is, is substantial and significant, even compared to many of the world's largest um, uh, economies uh, of individual countries. So it's quite a remarkable place. And um, we live and depend on the fresh water that the Great Lakes provide every single day. I want to focus on like two big buckets for this conversation. One bucket is success stories and like progress that's been made in the Great Lakes region. And the other bucket is climate change and kind of what's happening and what the challenges are, the opportunities. Let's start with the success stories bucket. Um, You know, I 
we talk, we hear a lot about challenges. There's a lot of stories in, in the mainstream news about challenges and problems with water. Um, but there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the Great Lakes over the past you know, several decades that have been positive and a lot of progress been made. Um, and I'd love to kind of walk through some of these with you, some that we've, we've talked about before this podcast. Um, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative itself, uh, what is that and why has that been successful to date? What's, what good has come of that? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that, you know, the Great Lakes has that, that big uh, multi-sector economy is that uh, because we were so close to so much freshwater, lots of businesses located here. And so back in the 20th century, you had lots of manufacturing, of course, lots of farming, uh, lots of transportation, and in many other industries found it very convenient to locate close to the Great Lakes. Um, and it's, it's good, of course, to build on your water resources, but unfortunately what happened uh, many time, time and again in the 20th century is that our waters were damaged and, and degraded uh, because of the you know unregulated in, in, industrial pollution and uh, in a a lot of other ways. And so that legacy of manufacturing, that legacy of economic growth and really, you know, the country came from the Great Lakes. It also left a lot of damage behind in the form of things like contaminated sediments at the bottoms of rivers and harbors, um, destroyed habitats, uh, really just degraded areas that threaten the health, not only of wildlife, but of people. We're talking about some nasty stuff, um, you know, chemicals like PCBs and dioxins. And so um, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative was really rooted in this recognition that, hey, we've caused a lot of problems in the Great Lakes region that is making it impossible for communities to thrive around water, right? You can't invest in and grow a a waterfront community if the waterfront is contaminated with cancer-causing chemicals. And so back in the late 80s, the countries of the United States and Canada agreed that they were going to commit to cleaning up some of these hardest-hit areas. They they became what are called areas of concern. And it took about uh, 15 years before um, the United States uh, and the people who lived in the Great Lakes region in the U.S. realized, hey, we've done a lot of planning and talking about cleaning these places up, uh, and not much has happened yet. Uh, and so the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, uh, which is this major U.S. federal funding program, came from the understanding that we've got to get these these hard-hit places cleaned up in order for the Great Lakes to have a shot at coming back. And that led to, over over a number of years, a, a plan, uh, another plan, um, decision by, you know, two presidents and Congress to, to eventually fund the initiative. And a lot of the initial funding has gone towards cleaning up these hard hit areas, in addition to doing things like stopping invasive species and reducing uh, non-point source pollution and those kinds of things. But it's really rooted in this recognition that the Great Lakes gave a lot uh, in the 20th century, got hurt a lot, uh, and that the, the country really needed to give something back to the Great Lakes to restore them um, um, to their former glory and uh, to really you know make sure those waters are protected for generations to come. Yeah, and I think I just just very recently saw a news story about you know the Infrastructure Act and funding that's kind of coming through that um, that's I think going to really help 
supplement the efforts that are underway with those areas of concern and and try to further expedite them getting delisted or uh, you know cleaned up, if you will. Um, is that did I did I see that right, or does that ring a bell? Yeah, actually, in, in the Infrastructure Act that passed um, Congress, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act actually has a lot in it for the Great Lakes. One of them is what you're referring to is there was a, an additional $1 billion that's going towards, mainly going towards that areas of concern program. Um, you know, President Biden made some announcements about that last week, and that will serve to clean up most of the areas of concern by 2030. They, they not only said, here's the dollars, they said, here's the deadline. And that's always a good combination in my book. Um, and so the other thing is that the infrastructure bill does is it brings a lot more resources to the Great Lakes region for water infrastructure fixes. And so that means cleaning up wastewater, providing safe drinking water. And in fact, uh, when the original Great Lakes uh, regional collaboration was written, the strategy that led to the GLRI, about two-thirds of the, the what was identified in that plan was actually connected um, to water infrastructure improvements. And so there's a, there's a huge part of Great Lakes restoration that's all about um, repairing our water infrastructure, in addition to cleaning up these areas of concern and um, you know, restoring the, the fish and wildlife habitats that the lakes, that, that the, those critters depend on. Yeah. I remember when I was at EPA and EPA headquarters in DC uh, from like 2011 to 2017, <clears throat> it seems like we all had a lot of news about delisting or, or areas, these areas of concern. It was just like always one of them that was getting knocked off that list. So like you said, this is a good, a good area of progress and a lot of good success stories around that. Um, one of the things that you mentioned was invasive species. And that's been, uh, you know, in the news for a long time when it comes to the Great Lakes. Um, what's what's the story there, and how has progress been made on that front? Unfortunately, the Great Lakes are were known as uh, ground zero for freshwater invasions, uh, not just in the United States but globally. Um, the Great Lakes have had more than 180 uh, invasive species found in the lakes. Many of them have caused extensive damage to the lakes uh, over the last 150 years. And invasive species are really a consequence of how the Great Lakes have become more and more connected um, to the global economy. So you had the openings of canals initially in the 19th century that linked the lakes to other waters. In the 20th century, um, you had the creation of the St. Lawrence Seaway, which opened up uh, the Great Lakes to marine shipping. So ships coming from all over the world to the Great Lakes also brought with them uh, critters in their ballast water tanks that got discharged, then there effectively were biological pollution. Um, you know, we think about pollution as chemicals that need to be reduced. Biological pollution, like invasive species, gets into the lakes and then it reproduces and it never goes away. And so critters like the zebra mussel uh, and the quagga mussel and other, other organisms have reproduced and caused extensive damage to the Great Lakes. Why do we care? Because uh, the Great Lakes, uh, a huge part of the Great Lakes economy is based in outdoor recreation. Um, so the, the invasion of, of species that aren't supposed to be here when they can outcompete native species for food uh, and they do a better job of reproducing, they can quickly take over the lakes. You know, the, the zebra mussel carpeted the lake bottom in short order within a few years uh, during, the, during the mid 80s and has caused, are still causing uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of damage to the lakes every year, uh, in addition to the ecological consequences. And so 
stopping them from getting into the lakes is a really big deal. The good news on that front um, is that number one, there are now requirements in place to actually install ballast water treatment systems on board ships that enter the Great Lakes. And so if a, if a boat is coming in from outside of the region, the cargo vessel has to install ballast water treatment and meet a certain standard in order to make sure that no new invaders get discharged into the lakes or to dr dramatically reduce the risk of that. Um, that hasn't been the case yet for ships that only move in freshwater and move invasive species across the region. That's an area of, of current policy development. And then the other good news on that front um, has been that um, the uh, uh, Congress, in the culmination again of, of a lot of work over a lot of years, recently funded the initial construction of protections against invasive carp, which are another uh, specific species moving toward Lake Michigan through the Illinois River. Uh, and the initial protections that are being built there southwest of Chicago have been funded, at least for the for the first um, phase of construction, also as part of the infrastructure bill. So that's really good news as well. So we're kind of eternally vigilant on invasive species because the only way to prevent the damage is to keep them out in the first place. Once they're here, they it's really almost impossible um, to stop them from, from the scourge that they are to the Great Lakes. But there has been a lot of progress made on making sure that, that new invaders don't get in, um, even as we still deal with the consequences of past invasions. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. You know, I grew up uh, going all the way to the uh, the far end of, of Lake Ontario, where the Thousand Islands are, kind of the St. Lawrence River. And, and, and I remember... Uh, from back then till now, the water clarity, how it's been impacted by, I think, the zebra mussels. Like the water is so clear now, which isn't necessarily a good thing, right? It, they've taken a lot of like those lower parts of the food web out, and that just has cascading effects. Um, yeah, I love looking out on, I live in Chicago, and so I look out on Lake Michigan all the time, and I, I love the blue water, but I also have. <laughs> A nagging thought in the back of my head. I know that the reason it's, it's like that because the zebra and quagga mussels have cleaned out all the food out of the water, and so that the energy in the water uh, or the food web is very different than it was 30 years ago. And unfortunately, there's no going back. Um, we just we do have to you know manage better with what we've got. Yeah, uh, you know we've we've touched on this infrastructure act a couple times and mentioned Congress. And um, one of the things that you identified uh, is that some of the bipartisan support for Great Lakes restoration is also a success story. Obviously, in our country these days, we don't see a lot of bipartisan work, right? We're in a hyper-partisan environment. Could you talk about uh, about that issue and, and how there has been bipartisan support for work in the Great Lakes and what that's meant? You know, if you're an environmentalist, I think you, you have to be kind of an eternal pessimist and optimist at the same time. Uh, it's <laughs> that sometimes because you know, we're, we're very aware of the challenges facing our water environment um, in, in things like, you know, global climate change bearing down, you know, water shortages in other parts of the world. And that can be, you know, that can feel very depressing. Um, I think in the Great Lakes region, we have seen the benefits of bipartisan commitment to clean water over the course of a couple of decades. Uh, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, for example, is always secures substantial bipartisan support from across the Great Lakes region. Um, anytime that that program has been you know, tipped for a potential cut, uh, like we saw under the Trump administration from the White House, there is uh, 
massive outcry from both sides of the aisle um, that that is not a program that you want to pull back on. And that's always really impressive to see. So it feels very positive to know that uh, legislators, decision makers across the Great Lakes region see the benefits of those Great Lakes restoration investments in their communities. And, and they're different across the region, right? One community might be cleaning up a, a terrible area of concern with cancer-causing chemicals. Another one might be, you know, dealing with the fact that their entire shoreline is hardened and they've lost all the habitat for the, the fish that their outdoor economy depends on, right? And so the investments might be for different things, but um, those thousands of projects are showing the benefits to those decision makers across the region, and, that, and that's really important. I've also been encouraged by the, the bipartisan support for water infrastructure um, investments. And so the GLRI, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, funds that restoration work. Um, we saw, of course, you know, bipartisan support in the Senate for the water infrastructure bill. But closer to home, you're seeing an understanding, you know, that I see from uh, Great Lakes mayors across the board, regardless of what party they're in, they understand there's got to be a substantial federal role in investing in repairing these these water systems that have that have that are just frankly broken down and, and, and outmoded. Uh, you saw it, for example, in the state of Michigan, a move to, I think, pass the, the largest uh, individual water infrastructure um, package uh, in, in recent history coming through a, uh, in a bipartisan way through the state, um, through the state house and, and the state Senate, which is, of course, you know, uh, split uh, between the two parties. So there are, there are indicators that despite the polarization on so many issues, Water and the Great Lakes is still a place where people understand, regardless of political affiliation, that um, you know, getting clean water to people is a basic right, it's a basic need, and it's something that, you know, there's a, in a lot of ways we can't actually agree on and make progress. And that is the, that's the eternal optimist side of, of working in <laughs> the environment of the Great Lakes. And, and um, there's just, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Well, like you said, they recognize the positive benefits in their communities of, of these investments in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and speaking of communities, this is something that when we talked before the podcast that you kind of identified and I thought was a really great concept, uh, another benefit, if you will, or a success story around the Great Lakes region. And, um, you know, it's been the, the focus on helping at community level and investing in communities and everybody organizing to help communities. Uh, I thought I thought that was an awesome concept. Could you talk about that? Sure. I, you know, I think that uh, what, when we when we talk about communities in the Great Lakes, it's, it goes back to that point that not every community has the same needs, but they all need clean water, and they need to address their clean water needs in, in, in where they are close to home. And so uh, you'll see that play out in things like, you know, for each area of concern, there is a, an advisory council locally that is made up, um, you know, sometimes of a few staff, but a lot of volunteers from the communities that are working on planning for the cleanup of those places, making sure that the priorities are right. Um, you see it in uh community members getting involved in directing how, you know, these new water infrastructure investments are being made, right? Making sure that that goes to uh, the needs that are most urgent for those places, whether that's, you know, uh, flooding on the streets or whether that's contaminated drinking water running through lead pipes. Um, I think that what's the, a big opportunity under the growth of the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative and the growth of water infrastructure investments is to make sure 
that community members are at the table when the spending decisions are being made. And there's a lot of vehicles for how to do this. Um, and I've been really encouraged by that seems to be a trend within the Great Lakes region. Um, I've, I've been, you know, an example, I've been really impressed with how the, in, in Milwaukee, there's been, there's an area of concern uh, in, in Milwaukee Center Harbor. And uh, it's because of some, the work of some local advocates, uh, the work, the, the area of concern advisory process up there has really shifted to take into account um, the perspectives from the community members who are using those areas, what they need, where the, how they want to see that money spent. Um, and there's just a, and there's a lot of those kinds of conversations happening across the Great Lakes region. Um, people uh, understand how the Great Lakes need to serve them close to home. And the more we listen to that uh, and the more we recognize that those needs are going to vary across the region, um, I think there's just great opportunities to be responsive with these new investments. Mm. All right. That other big bucket I wanted to talk about with climate change, uh, you know, I think people see all the headlines about the climate change impacts in the West, you know, the the aridification of the Colorado River Basin in California. um, And I think they see a lot of the concerns on the East Coast with sea level rise and stronger hurricanes. Uh, That stuff's kind of in the news a lot. what about the Great Lakes? What are the impacts that are happening that are predicted to happen there that are related to climate change? Yeah, well, there's there's two things going on in the Great Lakes that I see. One are the actual impacts that we can that we can see where problems are getting worse, and the other is the fact that those problems aren't showing up, you know, equally uh, across the Great Lakes region. Mm-hmm. So, in the Great Lakes, uh, we have uh, our water levels rise and fall, um, not as a tide daily, but uh, on a sort of annual and, and multi-decade basis. So you see water levels going up and down as a natural process. Unfortunately, what we're seeing over the last 10 years is a sort of much more dramatic uh, and extreme changes. So while the water levels hit a new record last uh, in 2020, um, that wasn't the big story. The biggest story is that it, that came uh, only seven years after the water levels were at a record low. And so you're seeing extreme shifts in water levels. And when you're talking about, for example, in Lake Michigan, that's happening across a six-foot trajectory, uh, communities are really ill-equipped to deal with water levels that change um, that that much that quickly. Um, and so that's a big challenge for the Great Lakes. We're seeing uh, average water temperatures rise dramatically. And um, you know what's really scary about that is that the, high, the, the biggest rises are happening in the northernmost lake, Lake Superior. And so that has uh, consequences and, you know, that can lead to changes the habitat for fish. So species that could thrive uh, in a lake uh, before won't be able to if if, uh, average temperatures continue to rise. Um, With the warming water, you also see better conditions for things like algae blooms. Algae blooms are a huge problem for the Great Lakes. And in fact, they've gotten so bad that uh, in 2014, a toxic algae bloom actually shut down the city of Toledo's drinking water system for uh, two days, somewhat famously. Uh, and but those algae blooms are still happening every year in in large lakes, and 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 they're they are getting worse as a result of warming water. Uh, there's lots of other ways that um, you know that climate change is having an impact on the lakes. Uh, you know, flooding and 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 water availability and all that. Um, 
but the second part of that story is that that's not necessarily um, of impacting everybody the same across the region. In cities where you have these extreme high water levels that sort of rise up all of a sudden, you know, in the, in the course of one or two years, you might have uh, waves crashing into uh, residential apartment buildings located on the shoreline. You know, flooding the buildings, uh, knocking out power. In many in many times, these this is happening in places that are. Um, uh, lower income communities, and that's a huge problem. Um, you're seeing, of course, when you have uh, water level or water temperature increases, you're putting uh, places that really rely on the outdoor economy are being put at great risk because if the if the um, species or the the ecological profile of those places changes, it can have a huge impact on the fishery. So um, across the Great Lakes region, you're you're starting to see the impacts of climate change add up. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we are going to have to live with those changes that have been baked in by global climate change, and we're going to have a real challenge adapting to that. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, uh, I'm wondering about opportunities that climate change could present for the Great Lakes. That sounds strange, right, <laughs> to, to say. But um, again, in, in some of our conversations before this, you identified some ones that really caught my attention. Um, so what are, what are some of the potential silver linings that could come out of climate change in the region? Well, number one, I think it's important that whatever we do about climate adaptation in the Great Lakes, nobody gets left behind, right? So, you know, this is People talk about the safer parts of the country and, you know, whether whether uh, Michigan is safer than California and if Michigan's a climate refuge and all that. Um, I think this is a great opportunity to just check check ourselves on that and say, first things first is we've got to make this a safe and welcoming place for everybody, people who live here and people who might come here in the future, right? And so the water environment is a great place to start that. Like, let's take the, let's take the example of, of agriculture, right? So um, the Great Lakes region has phenomenal quality agricultural land, obviously has access to easily accessible fresh water uh, that's also pretty cheap, um, probably cheaper in some places than it should be, and certainly in some places more expensive than it should be. That, you know, if you have a longer growing season uh, because of a changing climate, uh, that could lead to uh, more intense agricultural use. Economically, that could be a good thing for the Great Lakes, right? That could that could increase um, the uh, the um, uh, economic activity generated by agriculture. It could create more jobs. You know, it, it could uh, be a plus on that side. On the downside, uh, if we don't address the fact that agricultural pollution is causing the greatest uh, water quality harms to the Great Lakes right now, uh, then that problem is only going to get worse. So there's an opportunity there to say, yeah, we've got lots of clean water and we've got a longer growing season and great soil. And we're going to encourage through the growth in the agriculture sector, but we're going to do it in a way that makes it really clear that we've got to grow clean water at the same time we're growing food. And so I see this, you know, these kinds of climate adaptation scenarios are an opportunity not only to take advantage of what might be coming our way is an unfortunate, you know, unfortunately due to the fact that our, our, our global climate is changing. Um, but it's also an opportunity to uh, fix the damage that's being done right now and make sure that we're not, we're not only, you know, adapting by trying to attract new uses, but we're actually doing that in a way 
that um, reduces the damage that's happening today and, and creates a more sustainable system overall. And you could repeat that for other other sectors like wastewater, um, like manufacturing, right? You know, all all of the all of those sectors that that can take advantage of the fact that we have so much accessible fresh water. Um, there's also an opportunity there to, for everybody um, to do a better job. Of, of making those processes cleaner um, and more sustainable for the people who are here now and the people who, who may move here in the future. Yeah. yeah um, the idea I think you kind of you kind of touched on there was uh, the Great Lakes as a, a refuge almost, right? As people might look to escape the arid west or the hurricane prone southeast where I'm sitting um, and, and the hotter temperatures and, and kind of go back to the Great Lakes. There's obviously been a big exodus, right? As people moved out of a lot of those, those upper Midwest cities over the past bunch of decades and so forth. What possible, you know, potential is there for this kind of, you know, inbound migration to the Great Lakes and, and what that could mean for revitalizing some communities and so forth? Well, as I've learned more about this idea of climate migration, what I've learned is that people move for a whole variety of reasons, right? They, they move for family, they move for culture, they move for jobs. Um, and they, you know, they may move for weather and water also, um, but it's usually not the only factor in that decision. And so I think that what, what we've got to focus on, you know, through the Great Lakes lens is making this region um, through water a welcoming region to everybody who lives here now and to everybody who might come here in the future. And so what that means to me is um, we look at our drinking water systems. And the reality is, is that in, you know, our, our drinking water systems are not providing safe drinking water to everybody consistently. That's often concentrated in communities of color and communities that are lower income. And so we can't amplify that harm by simply, um, you know, sort of showing off the Great Lakes as a climate refuge. We've got to fix those challenges, make the make those systems more equitable, and make them also at the same time more welcoming to people who might move here, right? And so we, we, we want to encourage people to come back to the Great Lakes, but we want people to come back to a region that is safe and welcoming for everybody. And I think there's, again, huge opportunities in the water sector to make that happen. Um, you know, I think that the the idea of the bigger picture of the Great Lakes as a climate refuge it's it's a long term one, right? One mm -hmm. of the differences between the Great Lakes and say you know the arid West or the hurricane prone Southeast is that we've got more time, right? We're I I, I see the impacts of, of climate change on the Great Lakes. We've talked about a few of them here today, but we do have more time to adapt than other parts of the country. And so the the big question for me is. Um, yeah, let's let's make the the, the Great Lakes region a, a welcoming climate refuge for all, and the time to do that is now while we have more time than perhaps other parts of the country to secure that future. And I think the big question is, will we take that seriously here in the Great Lakes, or, or will we sort of just uh, you know retreat and, and and continue business as usual? So uh, I think it's a huge opportunity, and I, I'm hopeful that we can push that that idea, that message through the Great Lakes and the Waterlands, again, because it is such a, uh, you know, bipartisan one and one that so many people have already bought into that, that clean water is really the, the center of the future of the region. And um, that to me is the way that we think about uh, attracting more people uh, to, to come here. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Well, Joel, I really appreciate your time and all this perspective. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, there's, there's certainly a lot going on with the Great Lakes, and you, you have your hands full tracking it all and, and uh, kind of considering where to go with all of these different issues. But um, yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks, Travis. Thank you for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Springpoint Partners for grant funding. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.